Oh, with me. Blog Talk Radio. Here we go. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. MJ Network will bring you there. Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis. This is MJ Network. MJ Network in memory of my sister, Marcia Joyce. And this is going to be so much fun. The author of Swamp Guy Morris is here. And this is so-called Derek Taylor, future actor, ha- hacker, and contracted to the National Security Agency. This is cool. He's living under the name of a murdered best friend, hiding from Paris who still want him dead. Hmm. Taylor Taylor ties to a terrorist hacker group called SNO. Leave him open investigation to to Lieutenant Jennifer Scott. Let me bring this closer. The daughter of a joint chief, a woman determined to go to any lens to prove her worth. And that's all I'm going to tell you because there's a whole lot more, and I'm not going to give it away. How you doing? And welcome to MJ Network. Well, thank you, Fran. I'm very excited to be here. Well, this is going to be fun. Um, this is an interesting book, and you di- did some research. Why did you decide to highlight an incident that happened in 1993? Could you tell us a little about that? Oh, absolutely. Well, first off, as a fiction writer, um, I really try to anchor all of my fiction on some sense of reality, of an actual event, an actual technology, mm-hmm. an actual um, um, uh, circumstance that that gives it a sense of reality, a hook into the reality. And I used that particular experience um, and event to kind of also to, um, it, it because it allowed me to understand and for me to experience and question how our, our own government uses advanced technologies. And I think more importantly, it, it allowed me, that particular event allowed me to introduce in an interesting way uh, Sylvia, uh, Sylvia as a character itself. I like Sylvia. That's my favorite character, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, no, she's she's a lot of fun. I know, and the fact that she's so she's you would think she's a real person, and she's not is even better. So, well, and we'll get into more of that I, I think later on as we talk about the uh, um, uh, the development mm-hmm. of AI into sentience and singularity um, uh, programs, um, but. Um, yeah, there's a whole story behind how I discovered that actual program and, and that actual event. That is so cool. So who are the major characters in this? And tell us how you created the prologue. That was really cool. That set the stage yeah, for well, everything. Let me, let me tell you a little. Let me go back to, to Sylvia because I'd like to maybe explain how, how I discovered the Sylvia. Okay. And for me, I think the best um, the best literature or the best stories are the ones that are discovered as opposed to created. And to some extent, um, that applies to a great extent, that applies to Swarm. 
I stumped, years ago, I stumbled onto an Associated Press article that intrigued me so much that it became an obsession. And the article simply was a two-paragraph article in one of the science mag uh, legitimate science magazines at the time, and that it basically said that a program had escaped the Lawrence Livermore Laboratories at Sandia, and didn't say anything else, and then it gave the name of the professor in charge of the program and the FBI mm -hmm. agent in charge of the investigation, both of whom turned out to be legitimate as far as I could tell. And, but I, I couldn't put that article down. I actually cut it out. I pasted it on my monitor for months. Mm. And it didn't say the program had, had been lost. It didn't say it had been stolen. It didn't say the program was corrupted or the program had mm. failed. The verb that it used was a program has escaped the Lawrence Livermore mm. Laboratories at Sandia. Now, that particular laboratory is an NSA spy lab. It's the same laboratory that created the Stuxnet virus um, that basically wandered the Internet for years before it found a particular serial number uh, on a particular type of device, and then it activated mm -hmm. to bring down an Iranian centrifuge site, nuclear centrifuge site. Mm -hmm. So the same people that developed that advanced level of software were the ones that had developed this other program that had escaped. So I, I cut that out, and it intrigued me so, so much because I, I figured it was either a typo um, or it was a slip. And I looked through all kinds of other magazines and, and tried to do searches in, in other libraries, and I couldn't find anything mm. else about the story. And ultimately, I, I had been in the tech industry, so I thought, well, let me, let me just think about this for a while. And I spent a few months investigating and researching, well, what are the types of technologies that could exist that would allow a program to physically move mm. itself? Um, and there were some technologies, distributed architectures, and I won't go into the details. And so once I said, okay, well, it's, it's feasible, then I asked the harder question of, well, well why would it want to leave? What was it designed to do? And what's it doing now? And when I answered those questions, at the time I was, um, I was on the board of a small film production company in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I took the story to my friend. We decided to create a webisode series out of it. We did photo shoots. I rewrote scripts. And we based it at, from the viewpoint of the characters um, um, kind of revealing their story. And we got options um, uh, and by AOL at the time. And two weeks before the AOL was supposed to sign the production option, the FBI paid me a visit. Um, two mm. FBI agents showed up at my door. They wanted to talk to me about the program. Um, I think at first they wanted to find out how I knew so much. Um, and mm. when I convinced them finally that I had just figured it out, um, they wanted me Ooh. to take the show down. Um, and when I refused, they went to AOL and killed the deal. I had to tuck my tail between my legs. I went and took a job at Oracle after that. Um, and, but it, the story stuck with me. And when I decided to start writing, I decided to re resurrect that story. And interestingly enough, in 2016, there was a CNN article um, that talked about how Russia had hacked a CIA cyber toolkit, one of the older cyber toolkits. And in that cyber toolkit was virtually every single one of the capabilities I had designed into this program under the mm. office of saying, well, if I'm creating a spy program that can move around, what would I want that spy program to do? 
and it turns out I had nailed it, and all of that was supposed to be top secret or something. So that was the that was the essence of how Sylvia was was discovered, and one of the reasons why I wanted to anchor on that particular event and build it into the the story. Um, oh boy, they so must have put you in a great light with those people. <laughs> Well, my, my my wife was certainly not happy about it, but you know, it, for me, I was I was thrilled. It meant that I was right, and um, you know, you don't get much better validation than the FBI coming to your door saying, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I was like, hey, what are you worried about? I pulled all this out of my fanny, and they they, they didn't have any sense of humor at all. Um, so that was that was the the origins of why I wanted to create not only the story but particularly that character. And under the auspice that had that if that character had attached itself to somebody else that could update it, maintain it, um, advance, keep it advancing, that that program by now could be quite sophisticated. And that was that was where I created the Sylvia. So for the other characters, our main protagonist is an NSA contractor, Derek Taylor, Taylor uh, A.K.A. his alias Flapjack. Mm. who together with this uh, Sylvia, the escape program, uh, leads an international group of confidential informants from every location, every nation, every walk of life called the SNOW, which stands for SpyNet Online. Mm. Um, and Derek, uh, we'll tell you more about Derek's role in the story, but he basically has to, he's, he's almost like a cyber secret hero. He, he's almost an icon at this point. Um, where he's out trying to solve real issues um, uh, in, in cyberspace with viruses and, and criminals and, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and bankers and people of power, um, but while at the same time hiding and running from the law. Uh, and so it, it le- causes him to lead a, a serious double life. Um, the mm-hmm. second major character, I think, is uh, who's been assigned to investigate Taylor is Lieutenant Jennifer Scott, and she's the mm-hmm. ambitious daughter of the Joint Chief Admiral uh, Scott, and she has a she's passionate about bringing this agency or this this group called Snow down, believing that they might be cyber terrorists, and um, in particular, she's she's got kind of a a a, a thing for the snarky um, uh, NSA contractor named Derek Taylor, um, who, who mm. she's really particularly interested in, in, um, in humbling. Um, and so she basically is, and she will follow him halfway around the world in order to basically find the evidence to prove that he isn't who he says he is um, because she suspects it, but she can't quite prove it. Um, Dr. So, Nelson Garrett is, I think, the other third major character. Yeah, I like him uh, too, yeah was a really fun character for me to write because he was the total antithesis of, of uh, Derek Taylor. He was proper. He was well-educated, went to Cambridge. Mm. Uh, he was uh, a born of British aristocracy. He was a, certainly an AI genius, a, a founder, an a innovator in, in, the, in the field, who had been working for DARPA as a, under the um, Defense Science Board. Um, and but he's not aware that his favorite program or his, his master achievement, the Sylvia, has survived. And so he really becomes more of a best friend and a uh, mentor to Taylor, uh, offering Taylor advice around AI technologies without ever knowing exactly what Taylor's doing with that advice. And the next oh, well, character I think is different. important that gets developed as the series progresses is an ex-CIA analyst uh, and quantum computing cryptology genius named Jester. 
Jester's an autistic mm. savant who really has a wild character, wild persona. Um, but uh, and he runs Taylor's secret uh, data center operations. Uh, he and um, Garrett are forced to work together by the Sylvia. Neither one like nor trust each other, uh, which makes for an interesting uh, conflict. Um, our, our antagonist, our primary antagonist, is a man named Andre Strauss. Now, Andre mm-hmm. is the son of a disgraced Bilderberg leader who uh, harbors a deep grudge against those who betrayed his father. Um, Andre mm-hmm. has uh, a deep plan to basically create a cyber uh, war with a Chinese virus, which is a cover for an elaborate scheme to, um, that will give him immense power and wealth and also exact revenge on those he believes betrayed his family. And then the second protagonist, or antagonist rather, mm-hmm. is a Dr. Cho Lee Ping. And Dr. Cho is an ex-DARPA protege of Dr. Garrett who stole some of the Sylvia's secrets before he defected to China and built some of those secrets into an AI um, virus that threatens to take down the Internet. And if it takes down the Internet, it would basically kill the Sylvia. That is, that is, I know. That's that's pretty much the book I'm reading. Whatever, where everything blows up and nothing works. That's even scarier. I think the worst thing that happened to me last month was my blog talks blew up, and they were putting doing some kind of mate whatever. It took me like forever just to pray that I was able to do the show. Two minutes before the show started, it came back up. That that's when the internet goes. Forget it. So well, and we that's have, one of my premises of the book, which is America is really yeah. the most vulnerable nation on earth because of how much reliance yeah. we've put on this infrastructure yeah. and how vulnerable that infrastructure really is when we really get down to it. We talk a lot about cybersecurity, but there's a lot of holes mm-hmm. in that wall. And having been in the industry, uh, I wanted to highlight that we're not as secure as we think. We're much more vulnerable than we realize. And if we lost the Internet mm-hmm. entirely, we would, um, it would basically collapse our economy in a matter of days. Oh, I agree with you. You know, what's even scary is that you're walking in the street. I'm really careful. I put my phone in my bag. I don't walk with it. You know, if I'm walking out or going into a store, I just put my phone in my bag. You know, too bad. But I, I have people just bump into you. <laughs> they don't even watch where they're what? going. It's, yeah, it's yeah. frightening. This, it's it's really frightening because they can get hit by cars. And so sometimes it's like a close call. They don't even know that there is. Like, would you open your eyes, brilliant one? So... Andre Strauss, he's an interesting character. Why is he so connected to Israel and the president at this time in Palestine? But what is he really after? Well, I liked him, even Andre's though he was background, bad. background, it, it, it's mentioned in the book, but it, it, I don't really spend a lot of time highlighting it, was that he was yeah. once part of the, one of the Bilderberg organizations. He spent time in uh, the International Monetary Fund and, and other uh, similar international groups. And through those groups, he was developed... Um, relationships with bankers and leaders and business leaders throughout mm-hmm. the world. Um, he's now using those relationships to further his goal of getting a, um, a uh, essentially an invisible ID platform mm-hmm. um, that uh, that that will basically carry with a person. Um, but he has a secret backdoor in that platform that he wants to monetize by selling to enemies, um, business leaders for competition. So he's he's basically a corrupt guy who it will do whatever he can do to regain the billions of his family and hopefully regain a seat on the secretive group that's behind the Bilderbergs. 
Um, That's it, even scarier. How, how it turns out at this point, but um, he, one of his reasons for having that relationship with Israel um, is to mm-hmm. gain, uh, just as he's got access to America and the UK and mm-hmm. other groups in, in Europe, is um, was based on his IMF um, experiences and role, and now he's basically using those relationships for a more nefarious purpose. A lot of people do. That's even scarier. Now, my, one exactly. of my interesting chapters, one of my interesting chapters, see, I actually, I read this book, and then yesterday I went back over part of it to make sure, because I read things like months before, so I have to remind mm-hmm. myself, and I know I remembered. Um, and I, by the way, your review is on uh, my site, Just Reviews. I think I did a very good job. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very fussy. (laughs) It has to be perfect. It has to say exactly what I wanted to say. It doesn't say what other people have to say. I can tell you that. So in Chapter 15, why does the President of the United States seem oblivious to the world that he doesn't know what to do and did not listen to anybody? He sounds familiar, by the way. when When I was writing this book, it was during... 2019, 2020, and um, I think like a lot of people, I was concerned with um, the direction of our American politics, and I wanted to reflect a leader who thought he was smarter than generals, thought he was smarter than everyone else when he wasn't, Um, and and history shows that a great leader is only as good as the advisors Mm -hmm. that he surrounds himself with Mm -hmm. and listens to. And I wanted to reflect the the outcome possible outcomes of a leader in a, in a dire situation um, where they weren't willing to listen to their advisors. They were willing to argue and put down their advisors and insult them and, and basically do what they thought was best, which was almost always in a self-serving uh, mode. Mm-hmm. And so what I tried to reflect there was that type of leader um, and, and the type of dangers that could happen when it comes to issues of war, issues of national security, when we don't have someone looking out for the, the interests of the United States, but looking out for their own interests. Yeah, I wonder about that sometimes, too, with what's going on with the pharmaceutical companies, that I just wonder, they create these vaccines, but basically it's for them to make millions of dollars. That's what really bothers me Absolutely. a lot. Absolutely, yeah. I, I know. I just read that Moderna's coming out with something, and I said, gee, I hope it's, you know, once a year. It's not. It's going to probably be the same nonsense over again. Not looking forward to it, but whatever. So the, who's trying to advise the president of the United States, and who is Josh? Um, two separate questions. Um, th- those around the president who are trying to advise him are those career mm-hmm. um, professionals that are in the government that have been doing various roles and are, are experts in how the government works. Mm-hmm. And in many times, national patriots. In some cases, they are self-serving as well, um, depending upon who the president surrounds himself with. Uh, and, and most of them, similar to we had a, a, a joint chiefs, who in often cases disagreed with our, our former president, um, but in many cases these are individuals like what we had, what we've seen, mm. where while there might be a disagreement, there's less of a um, willingness to argue and and uh, and thwart. And and so I was trying to look for people, trying to create characters that reflected that reality of of people who wanted to do the right thing, uh, but were really um, 
unable to do so unless they were willing to basically um, defy orders and 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 um, do act in a way that's contrary to how they've been trained for their entire career. That makes it kind of hard because they have to decide whether they want to actually do that or risk getting fired or even worse. So that makes it even worse when you have a conscience. That's that's, that's yeah. frightening because I'm sure it's happening as we speak. So exactly. why does he contact? Why does he contact Wiki? And what? Tell us about the prophecies. Those are interesting. Okay. Well, um, the prophecies. You, you mentioned Josh. We'll come back to Josh in a little bit. Um, the okay. prophecies are interesting. Now, what I can say about the prophecies is all of the prophecies that I spoke about in the, the book, the seven seals and, and uh, some of the other prophecies mm-hmm. of Israel, uh, are actual prophecies, biblical prophecies. Um, but the twist mm-hmm. that I tried to, to put on that was that um, rather than putting a religious uh, overlay onto it uh, and a dogma overlay, I wanted to uh, take the approach of saying, well, what if we had an, an artificial intelligence such as the Sylvia um, that had reached a sentient um, level of intelligence, that had reached a singularity re- level of intelligence, and the difference between sentient and singularity is sentient defines that state where the, the program is self-aware, it's, it's aware of its own motives, it, it has a sense of, uh, of connection with others, um, and singularity is that state where a program is as smart or smarter than um, a, a, a human being. So if you if you think in terms, we wouldn't want an, an AI program that was uh, as smart as a, an, a dumb person. So uh, I created someone that was smart as a, a smart person. And so in that context, um, and for a program that was designed to understand human knowledge and experience, it has decoded those prophecies as a program might do, saying, is there a correlation? Is there a a, um, a statistical correlation between what this prophecy is trying to say will happen mm. and what the um, AI can observe actually happening um, through news and 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 history and, and and all of that? And so the the prophecies of the seven seals um, talk about a state uh, of of um, and, and and by the way, um, the the premise there is that the the Sylvia has has concluded that the prophecies are correct, not that um, God, because it doesn't really think about God in that sense, is going to come down and destroy humanity, but how humanity is destroying itself. And so it's trying to create the alarm, trying to raise the awareness, trying to mm-hmm. educate Derek and others that to say, look at what you're doing to yourself, um, and you, you should do something. Um, and so... The, the, the seven seals really deal with a state where we would have uh, an escalation of wars and the capability of war mm-hmm. um, that would then be followed by um, um, pandemics or pestilence and pandemic uh, on a global level, which we, we saw. Um, that's usually to, was, is followed in the third seal by uh, a state of um, uh, food shortages and food insecurities, which we are experiencing mm-hmm. right now uh, in many places around the world uh, yeah. at, at a very escalating rate. And that would also then uh, create economic uncertainty, inflation, and um, disparities, which we're also seeing. Uh, and then it goes into the fifth um, prophecy that really deals with how all of those things combined are going to create a deep division. There would be deep divisions between brother and brother um, uh, and, and persecution and the kinds of um, interpersonal conflicts that 
that war, poverty, food shortages, uh, all of those things would create. And so it was basically warning the, the purpose of having the prophecy or having the computer come in and, and take an mm. agnostic or non-religious approach was to kind of remove that factor from the equation and get hopefully to create uh, a thought-provoking narrative that says, well, really, what are we doing to ourselves and, and what should we be doing differently? Um, to say this was, this was foretold, and sure enough, it, it's happening at a statistically relevant um, level. You're right, it is, because I watch the Weather Channel a lot, and it's sad. All those countries, all those, all those states, you know, hit by the flood, shortages, people people having no homes, people having nowhere to go. It, it's horrible. Just the Ukraine alone is, is, har- is horrible. That people, you know, don't realize how lucky we are. And th- there's there's nothing that, that anybody's going to do. I mean, Mississippi, Missouri, Arkansas, all of them. It's, fr- it's frightening. And the it, two porters in my terrible. building come from two countries that got hit. And I'm putting together um, clothes and glass cases and a whole bunch of stuff to give them this week so they could send it to them so that people have something to wear. It's horrible. Exactly. And just this past week we saw floods and um, super monsoons in Pakistan that yeah. have basically put a third of the country underwater. Um, so those are things that we, we wouldn't anticipate in, a normal, in, in our normal post-war environment. Uh, these are it's not just a single occurrence, but it's a it's a escalating series of occurrences. Mm-hmm. Um, the Yangtze River in China has now dried up. Um, the largest uh, yep. natural lake in China has dried up. Um, we're seeing extreme either extreme droughts or extreme uh, weather events on almost in every continent. And it's um, it's I was um, I worked with an oil company back in the 80s, and back as early as the 80s, we had our scientists and our, our research groups and geology groups were, were producing mm. and, 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 and um, trying to raise the alarm that they, they saw a direct correlation between um, CO2 and, and ice, uh, the melting of ice caps in the North Sea and mm. the Arctic areas. And I was in the boardroom on the day that the chairman basically, when those things were escalated up to the chairman, and I was there because I, my, one of my roles was to look after our compliance with the EPA. And, um, and where the chairman went into a just red-faced, screaming, grueling tirade um, about how none of this sold oil and we were in the business of selling oil and threatened to fire anybody who brought it up again. Mm. And so part of my awareness goes back 40 years to saying I've mm. been seeing this coming and, and I've been kind of trying to softly calculate and, and look at the statistics to say where's the point of no return. <coughs> Excuse me. And <coughs> coming to the conclusion we'd already passed that time. This is scary. So I wanted to, so part, what, of the, part of the purpose of the book, which will be a series, mm-hmm. is to try and escalate those issues in, in our consciousness, but do so rather than a, a scientific study or a boring and depressing documentary. I wanted to create a, a, an entertaining, fun, exciting narrative with characters that people love to follow, 
where we could explore these things uh, as they go at, at one at one at a time and start to really kind of look at um, but do so in an entertaining way. Well, I love Slivia. I really do. So how do you how do they how do they learn more about what this with AI is doing and why the president does something even worse? He lets out something that's not real. And why does he do invisink? Invisink. Invisink. Oh my god. <laughs> well, um there are three questions. Um, first question is, is how do they figure out what Sylvia is doing? And in some cases, they don't. Um, Sylvia, as an mm -hmm. entity, does not always communicate its intention. It communicates information. It communicates analysis. Mm -hmm. It basically provides direction as to what Derek or the other someone else needs to do in order to mm -hmm. avoid um, a catastrophe. It's looking ahead. Uh, it connects with cameras, microphones, um, monitors, um, TVs, news, um, internet channels, um, um, social media, and correlates that information in an analysis to try and say, well, what's going to happen, and tries to warn people, but isn't always clear in, in the sense that it, it's going to give its intention, that I'm going to go do this. And so oftentimes um, the characters, and particularly Derek, who's the closest one to the mm -hmm. Sylvia, um, isn't always aware or even in, in alignment with what the Sylvia is mm -hmm. doing. Um, and at one point, at a, certainly at some point, when Sylvia starts talking about prophecy, Derek's first impression is that the program has a glitch. It's broken. Something went wrong. He, he doesn't understand what it's really talking about because he's, he's non-religious. He's agnostic. And so they're always mm -hmm. trying to, there's a little bit of a guessing game in, in how the, he deals with Sylvia. And he can only communicate with Sylvia if he's within a Wi-Fi kind of network. So if he's offshore, if he's outside of that kind of network, if he can't get a cellular signal of some kind, mm. um, he, sometimes he, they can't communicate at all. Um, and so there, it's, it's not a, a constant um, companion that, that you might think of. And, and that's to really reflect that AI is really still a technology um, there are a lot of aspects for a world that an AI doesn't have access to, and one of the reasons it creates the SpyNet online is to give the AI, and, and by, by mm. default Derek, eyes and ears where the program can't see or hear and, and understand. And so um, now why the president, there's a separate AI issue that I think you brought up with the president. Um, yeah. Dr. Garrett, we start with Dr. Garrett visiting a, a Nevada test site and what he's witnessing is an actual AI drone weapon that DARP is working on called the Hive. Um, it, it's actually, I think it has a, a slightly different name. I made up the Hive so I wouldn't conflict with the DARPA, um, anything DARPA, but it's the same technology. And it's essentially a, a swarm of drone, weaponized drones. And, and these are um, small, they're compact, they're very agile, they communicate. Uh, I think the, the mm. actual um, um, rate of communication was 51,000 signals per second. Um, and it's very, very high speed. Uh, and and there, the, that particular weapon system was actually tested, uh, a non-lethal version of that system was tested in the 2020 Gaza War. Um, and so it's an actual system that they're working on. Um, but it's like many things with DARPA, many things with AI. Mm -hmm. um, it takes time to train. It takes time to... Um, to modify and, and test, and when um, 
a China basically releases an AI virus. That AI virus mm. is meant to basically lower our defenses, to, which would allow China to basically start taking over the South China Sea and Taiwan Strait and allow Russia and Iran to basically um, invade over the Golan Heights. Um, in an effort to be a friend of Israel and to show his dominance in this, uh, the president basically orders this weapon deployed before it's actually ready and, and signed off. Um, and that leads to some conflicts with Nelson Garrett, who winds up becoming the scapegoat later on, um, as well mm -hmm. as um, issues with um, the safety of Israel and, and other places when the program basically uh, malfunctions um, and, um, and changes how it considers to be a target. Um, and I so think you have a third part of that question that I can't remember. I have a whole bunch of questions here. <laughs> um, before I forget... Yes, I can. Before I forget, uh, Tuesday, this is exciting... New York Times author that took over the Jason Bourne series, Brian Freeman, will be here with I Remember You on the 8th. This is going to be uh, different. I'm doing a medical show, people. Yes, I am. Dr. Jeffrey Jacobson and I are going to talk about trigger finger, the causes, the reactions, and because Fran doesn't want to do her trigger finger, uh, we're going to talk about it and, and what happens if you don't have surgery and all the rest of it. On the 14th, um, award-winning author uh, Marilyn Levinson, Dewey Decimated, and that's just part of September. That's coming up. And we mustn't forget Lee Matthew Goldberg on the 28th, Immoral Origins, and everything else in between. I'm very excited. Now, let's get back to this. Um, tell, tell us more about Garrett, Jester, and Slivio and encrypting, and who is Ty? Um, well, let's start with Ty. He's the easy one. Ty is a member of the Snow Network, uh, a friend of Derek, uh, who did some mentoring mm -hmm. early on in these days. Um, he owes Derek a favor. Um, um, Derek's pilot owes Ty money. Ty's important because he's the um, uh, mm -hmm. CIA station chief for a remote location in Nepal. And Derek needs Ty in order to get to equipment that he needs, a plane, a plane and other equipment he needs in order to sneak into China. Um, and the reason Derek needs to sneak into China is because that's where the largest of the data centers pumping out this AI virus exists. Mm -hmm. And because it's in the middle of the Xinjiang province, uh, the United States is very reluctant to send in Navy SEALs or somebody else that could start an international incident in a war. And so they, 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 they basically stall and refuse, um, mm. again, for, for politics. Um, but Derek knows that if he doesn't take down this site, he's going to lose his program, Sylvia, as well as the Internet. And so he, he needs Ty um, to basically, like he uses everyone within the SNOW network, uh, such mm. as Wiki, um, are, are basically people that he's met or connected with or part of this snow network, and he's, those are essentially his army. Those are his merry men. Um, and so he, he relies on them to basically help him execute what they need to do within locations um, uh, around the world. And Wiki was in Hyderabad. I actually visited. Uh, I had a team in Hyderabad when I was at Microsoft, and so mm. I based a few of the characters um, in that, that story based on people I met during my visits. 
And so Wiki knows the, uh, all of the activities that go on in HydroBob, and so he's basically the, the, the intelligence specialist for that group to help um, Derek isolate and locate the particular data center that's causing the problem and, and to work with him for a non-lethal way of, of de, um, decommissioning that vacant data center. So one of the, the characteristics of, of Derek that I, I want to maybe bring out while I'm on it <clears throat> is that I wanted to create a character, a hero, a protagonist that was different than what you typically see in a thriller. CIA, FBI, Navy SEAL, mm -hmm. you know, who bleeds the red, white, and blue and can kill you in a hundred different ways. Um, Derek is nonviolent. He, he doesn't like guns. He doesn't like, he tries to avoid uh, anything that's going to hurt the people, believing that most of the people are just, are, are, are the innocents. And so the, the, the framework of the whole Snow Network is to, uh, is to avoid violence. And so while he's being chased and there's certainly death-defying situations he gets himself into, he's always trying to find a non-lethal way of getting himself out of that. And so mm. Wiki and, and Ty are part of that mentality. Um, and, and, and as you can see, this, um, Chloe in, in Amsterdam and, and others that we will discover along the way, so part of his, uh, his, his motif is that he's, he's not really a spy. He's just, he's just a hacker basically pulled into this scenario because he's the only one who can. Um, I just wanted to learn how to hack. <laughs> well, and, and as it turns out over the time, both the Jester and the Sylvia are much better at him than, than that. And so he really mm -hmm. becomes in many, many ways sort of the icon, the... the um, um, the um, the inspirational leader that kind of pulls that mm -hmm. group together, um, and um, and so you had asked a question before Ty, and I, I, I forgot that you skipped over, skipped over it. I think. Um, what what is what does he do? What is his role? And then why do they oh, think they've entered the last days? You were asking about um, the, the cryptology with uh, Jester and, and, and Garrett. Yeah. Um, Signals the NSA lab that created the Sylvia and created the SelectNet virus also specializes in mm -hmm. cryptology and signals um, technology. Mm -hmm. And so both Dr. Garrett and the Jester have a background in um, cryptology and, and, and signals. And Jester being the far, far, by far the genius who created a lot of the uh, um, crypto technology that the government currently uses. And so he uses that in order to keep all of the activities that Derek and the Snow Network does um, outside of the view of the government. It basically allows him to stay hidden. So mm. his, one of his roles and, and one of the reasons why um, they need him is because he, he can keep them from being – he can keep the government out on the outside while he's keeping in, and he knows how to do that because he wrote the programs mm. that the government is using. That's interesting. Now, a really interesting question. Oh my God. Um, what? Well, we have Adelson, but what happens to what the Chinese guy is paying? What happens what he puts in place? And who is his other character, Perceptor? And what is his relationship with Strauss? Oh, I didn't like that guy at all. Um, Perceptor is Latin for Grandmaster, and yeah. Perceptor leads a group called the. Council of Thirteen. The Council of Thirteen mm -hmm. 
is the remnant of the old, um, what, what started off as the Templars, um, it basically went underground with, and has evolved throughout the centuries as a very secretive group that controls the bankers and, and the politicians and the industry. And so we see the Bilderberg group. We ever want, many people are aware of the Bilderberg group because of publicity on them that they didn't want. Um, and the Bilderberg, for those who don't understand, are, are essentially they meet once a year or a couple times a year in very secretive locations. They never publish their agenda. They never publish who's attending their meetings. But it's often world leaders and leaders of industry, leaders of banking, leaders of technology, mm. and they're they're there to basically get updates on where where things are going. And if you really look at some of the studies about the the, the Bilderbergs or others, it becomes sort of the 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 reality, the the modern reality of what we call the Illuminati. And um, so he's basically the head of that group. And Strauss's mm. father was once part of that group, um, but um, mm. defrauded them at one point. Uh, and when, when when the father was murdered, um, um, then then the group basically decimated uh, Strauss the, the the wealth of the Strauss family. And um, because of that, Andre has two goals. He wants mm. one, and part of his Part of his objective is he wants to regain that wealth that he felt was stolen from him, um, but he wants to do so in a way that humiliates or punishes or gets revenge on the, 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 the Council of Thirteen, but he wants to try and do it in a way where they don't really realize that he's doing it and that with his newfound wealth and power, they actually will give him a seat back on the Council. Um, and, and so when Preceptor um, starts to understand what Strauss mm. is up to, he basically, and realizes that Strauss is putting himself in a lot of legal jeopardy mm. um, with a number of governments and that people are starting to question what he's doing and how he's doing it, Perceptor goes out of his way to tell Strauss that he's not going to protect him. Um, and for, for years, uh, Perceptor um, tried to act as if he was going to be a mentor to Strauss, mm. um, you know, kind of because his father was had been part of the group. He, um, but when when Strauss um, when Strauss really turns turns into um, more evil, more apparently evil or, or frankly evil than than the the Council of Thirteen would would um, would want, because they they thrive on secrecy, um, then they basically cut him off, and that basically forces him to go and and get even more determined to get back at him. What is, where's my thing on the bottom here, what is the fifth seal and what's the significance and how does, why does Derek deal with the preceptor? Derek, um, the story starts when Derek, as before his, he, um, in his original name, mm-hmm. Carrie Nolan, um, hacks into a server um, owned by um, the Council of Thirteen. And in that mm. server are essentially their history, their archives, their sacred texts um, that had been digitized and for, for security purposes. So when he hacks into that server and, and steals that information, that's when they sent Strauss um, out to basically eliminate Carrie Nolan. By mistake, mm. Strauss kills Carrie Nolan's best friend, Derek Taylor, while Derek mm. was cheating on Carrie's fiance, Bianca. So in order to convince the council that he was that Carrie Nolan was dead, 
um, Terry took on the identity of Derek Taylor um, and basically went into hiding. So the, the connection is between Derek and Strauss is that mm. Derek has always wanted revenge on the man who killed Bianca and his best friend. Um, mm. And when he realizes that Strauss is that man, he, his first priority is to save the Internet so he can save Sylvia. But once that's done, his, real, his next objective is to somehow bring Strauss down. Now, I won't go into spoilers, but I'll, I'll just say that he fails. Um, but... And, and he starts to actually change his own position about whether revenge is something he should be in the business of. But mm. um, that's the connection between the two is that Strauss was the, the same man who basically killed his fiance and his best friend by mistake mm. when he really wanted to kill Perry, didn't know him to begin with. Well, because well, you do. Thank goodness he didn't. So it's too bad he got yeah. the other one. So how did you create the final revelation, and what does Jen finally realize? I like her. Um, Jen is a, a, an extremely interesting person and a, a yeah, she character, is. and, and um, she's really driven by uh, a strong sense of morality and right and wrong and patriotism. Um, she both admires and despises her father because she's had to live as a female in a military role mm. under as the daughter of a joint chief and never feeling like she's really getting the kudos that she deserves. And she wants to kind of, um, she wants to do something. She needs to do something to basically pull herself out of her father's deep, heavy shadow. And um, so going after Taylor and going after the, the snow, um, the spy net online, is her way of trying to, um, you know, do something that others that in government have failed to do, which is get to the bottom of this, this secretive cyber group nobody seems to be able to crack. At the end of it, she, I think she realizes that the Snow Network are, are not only not terrorists, but they're actually mm. good guys doing good things um, in secret without taking any glory um, for the benefit of the United States, our allies, and other people, um, and and but always being on the run, always being hiding out from the law as a result. And so her perception of the Sylvia, her perception of the Snow, and her perception of Derek have a real fundamental shift as she goes through the, her ordeal of following Derek, mm. trying to find the proof that he's 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 breaking and he breaks the law all the time, but he's doing it in ways that to get done what he needs to get done for the greater good. And so I think her perception of who he is as an individual and who the snow is, mm. if, if not changed completely, is certainly challenged at a fundamental level, which causes her to question whether her mission of bringing them to justice is the right mission. Um, when she, at the very end of the, of the story, when she mm. realizes, and I don't want to give away the, the, the revelation, but she, no, don't. She, part of that process causes her to also have a really deep change in her attitude towards her father. And she actually calls her father the admiral. She won't call him dad. She won't call him father. She won't call him pop. She calls him the admiral mm -hmm. because he's, you know, I, I grew up with some military people. That, you know, they can be pretty rigid in, mm -hmm. in, in how they deal with discipline and how they deal with education and how they deal with um um, uh, all, all kinds of issues, and and, and so she, she grew to kind of resent her sh that shadow and resent him and, and his success and, um, and kind of distanced herself uh, after her mother died um, 
and, and began calling him Admiral. And I think she starts, it, it's the beginning of her transition to basically realizing that he, he also had secrets, um, but secrets, the kind of secrets she didn't expect. Um, so it, it's, it, it becomes part of her transition uh, in, in, as a character. It's hard. I know how it feels to uh, live in the light of somebody else. And people say, well, you're not like that person, and why can't you be like that person? And she's living in the in the light of her father because he's who he is. So how does right. she... And it, it's, it's sad. Yeah, it's hard. That's hard. I know. I know. I, had, uh, I went through that. It's, it's hard. And then you're expected to be perfect. You're expected never to make the mistakes because... This person didn't make them, so why are you making the same mistakes? Because yeah. people do. Well, and yeah. one of, part of the reason I created the characters in the way I did was while I'm while my purpose in writing this particular thriller series has it's mm. rooted um, in I like to say I have fictional characters and fictional plots that are rooted on ninety percent factual um, world. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to make sure that, again, in trying to contrast between a lot of thrillers where there's this, you know, almost impervious, you can't kill him kind of CIA guy, um, mm-hmm. I wanted to create characters that each of them had traumas of, or, or difficulties of different types. They all had um, a challenge to, to kind of relate to the world. They all had challenges in terms of finding themselves or finding their role in life. They all had childhood traumas that they're still grappling with. And so part of Jen's childhood trauma was the loss of her mother as, a, as, a, as an early teen and then having to grow up with this militaristic sort of father without the balance mm. of her mother's love and compassion and sensitivities and spirituality. And so um, that she's aware she, she she misses her mother, um, but this is but we're not always often consciously aware that we're carrying mm-hmm. that baggage or that we're carrying that trauma into our current day situations. And the story is um, this particular story for both Derek and for for um, Jen uh, is the 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 ordeal that basically starts to help them both come to recognize that they're both carrying that forward and. And, ch- and questioning whether they're doing it in the right way, and and so well, because I it, wanted that, that sort of emotional connection with the characters. Mm-hmm. Well, if a story is has no conflict, flaws, or emotional whatever, I would I usually put it down and say never mind. Now I read it anyway, but then it's very hard. Um, and your book was very long, a lot of pages, people. And I just sat down and read it. And which which is good because usually a book that big you know takes me a couple of days. No, it didn't. It took me like two hours. I just sat down and read it, which is good because Wonderful. that has happened. <laughs> yeah. So, are you continuing this story? What's next for Derek and Jen? Absolutely. Bringing them back? Um, my next oh, that's book good. Is makes me feel better. Be- beg pardon. Yes, I, I am going to continue it. I, they, I, I can't leave. These are really amazing, great characters. I've set up the framework for you to meet more characters within the Snow Network. I've created a framework where we now, mm. Derek now has to um, reconnect with the Sylvia and, and find out what happened with the Sylvia. Jen is now trying to redefine her role within the government. Garrett is also trying to redefine his life uh, outside of DARPA. 
And so the, the next book um, in the series is called The Last Ark. Uh, I hope to have it mm-hmm. published within the next month or so. And The Last mm-hmm. Ark will continue the story in terms of what's happening with these characters. But really interesting, The Last Ark will go into one of the next prophecy um, uh, events, which is that there would be a third temple um, in, mm. in, in, on the Temple Mount. And brings in a, a, some true stories. So, for example, the Ark of the Covenant um, that was in Ethiopia for the last six hundred mm-hmm. years, what people aren't aware, was actually stolen after a massacre in January 2021 and sold on the black market. Um, so the next book will talk about who bought it and why. Uh, it will talk about the copper scroll that was discovered in Qumran in the 60s that mm-hmm. had 64 locations of temple treasures, but... No one in the last 50 years has been able to find those locations until about eight years ago. A book was written called The Copper Scroll Project where uh, an American investigator actually located all 64 locations within the city of Qumran, and the 64th location has a second copper scroll that defines where Jeremiah did the ark made by Moses. And so both of those are going to come into a, a faulty peace deal uh, between the Saudi crown prince and a former U.S. president who is under criminal indictment who, rather than going to trial, uh, decides to declare asylum and flee to Arabia to kind of restart this peace deal and ultimately winds up working with, um, um, I won't kind of give too much away, working with Moscow. Um, so that'll be the next book. That um, Derek has to find the Sylvia. Jen has to discover things. There's a number of other uh, things that will evolve in the story beyond that, including as we start to see the maturity and development of the character of Witness. That that's interesting. Are you going to do another tour with Partners in Crime? Because they always ask me to ask that question. Because they're the best. Ah uh, yes, I, I I I do plan to. I'm starting. The first three years when I started became a, an author was during COVID, mm-hmm. and I, I was more concerned. I didn't. I had enough money to either produce high-quality books, um, mm-hmm. but not enough money to produce them and do a lot of money on promotion. And I'm mm-hmm. now getting to. And the, one of my goals was. Um, I, I know in the business that it's really hard to make money on the first book. That people are mm-hmm. really looking for a reading list. And so uh, I read this, and so I started, I wanted to produce my first three books. I'm working on the fourth one now. Um, and so I wanted to kind of get my read list up a little bit before I started to get more active in promotion. Uh, but now mm-hmm. that I'm kind of getting to that stage, I'm trying to slow the book production process down a little bit. So mm-hmm. I can spend a little bit more time on the research for each book, um, but also spend more time in the promotion uh, of the books and interviews and other things that I can do to help get the word out. Well, all I know is that they don't ask me if I want to do the interviews. They just tell me I'm doing it. I'm serious. They'll just say, "We have this great book, and we're sending it to you." Even you know, before I could put the put the pen, you know, the ink down or whatever, I you know, my text it, and I'll say, "Well, I'm, I'm going to do this." They said, "Don't worry, the book's in the mail." Uh, that that's my my number one complaint. The post office isn't bringing the books. This is really bad. Um, they slowed down on a lot, and they have not. Thank God, I just came before, because I don't know what I was going to do. I have a whole bunch of interviews coming up, and if the post office doesn't bring them, I don't know what I'm going to do about it. We'll figure it out. But where can everybody find out about you and and reading all of your books? The other three, the other two besides this one. Well, I have uh, this, the next book. I have um, 
that is not a part of the, this series, uh, this espionage series, is called The Curse of Cortez. And The Curse of Cortez was listed as a, a book trip called it Indiana Jones Meets Da Vinci Code. Um, it, mm -hmm. um, it, it was on their list of their 25 favorite books of 2021, which I was very honored by. Uh, Curse of Cortez took me about 10 years to research. Um, it deals with uh, the lost, um, actually the abandoned billion-dollar, 30-ton plunder of Panama um, and, and, and why Morgan, uh, Henry Morgan not only abandoned a billion dollars, but why mm -hmm. he burned his logbooks to keep the world from learning the truth about why he did that. Um, and after years of research, I was able to connect that story. Um, I became obsessed because with that story as well mm -hmm. because it's it very hard for me to, first off, it's really difficult to lose 30 tons of stuff, nearly 500 souls and three ships without somebody finding mm -hmm. something. Uh, and I was trying to find out, well, it, has anybody found anything, even if they didn't quite understand what they found? And then secondly, I was trying to understand what, what happened to Morgan, what scared him or changed him, because he, after he came back from London, uh, he, w he went into this haunted, drunken debauchery and burned his logbook before he died. And um, after he died, the whole city of Port Real, including his grave, sank in the ocean. At the time, the locals had said the city had been cursed by Morgan. I was trying to understand what happened to Morgan that was so profound that would make him give up a billion dollars, but also hide the truth from the world. And mm -hmm. I ultimately tied the, the story back to um, an island conquered by his uncle, turned into a pirate base, an Inquisition massacre that ended a 2,000-year pilgrimage that nobody before anybody understood what the pilgrimage was about. I tied that back to the Mayan calendar and the Mayan creation myth. It's an amazing story. Um, in, in and of itself, it's an epic. And so um, that's, I think, uh, of, of all my, my books in general, I think it's one of my favorites. Um, but I, I'm really committed right now. There's so much happening on the world stage um, um, mm -hmm. having to do with uh, all of these issues of climate and food and, and security and cybersecurity and China and Taiwan and, and droughts that I'm continuing to find focus, at least for the next book, on continuing, mm -hmm. after the last arc, continuing the snow series. And then I want to revert back to the characters from the Curse of Cortez and go after more historical and archaeological mysteries um, that that one really can, can bring out. Well, I'm learning a lot, but everybody, it's a beautiful day outside. This has been really interesting, <laughs> and I've learned a lot about different things that I didn't know before, and I love artificial intelligence, and I'm... Uh, when you write the next book and publish it, let me know if you want me to read it and review it. I will be more than happy Absolutely. to. Okay, everybody, it's a beautiful day. Everybody, do something nice for someone. Say something positive or do an act of kindness. Thank you so much, Guy. Everybody have a great day, and bye. Thank you, Fran. Take care. Bye-bye.